1: <laughs> this one
2: was good. Welcome to Growing Up with Gowlem, the show where we explore the stories, struggles, and triumphs of growing up as people of colour.
3: I'm Natty Kasimbala. And I'm Nyala Arboyne. Each week, our guests respond to old diary entries, letters, notes, or texts from their younger selves, helping us
2: understand how their coming of age made them who they are today. Now, I'm st- I'm stressed. What's happened? What's happened? Why are you stressed, Uh, (laughs) Natty? Why are you stressed? (laughs) I'm stressed because I've got one of those Google trackers on, on my flights home to see my parents for Christmas. And Where's home? It's just, oh, uh, well, my parents live in South Africa and hopefully we'll be going to Malawi as well. Yeah, and it's kind of that weird thing of like, it's going home, but I... I, I did live there for a year during lockdown, but it's not really my mm. home, but it is my home because my parents are there and the house is my home. But it's just bad news after bad news. Every week I get an email notification and the price is just going up and up and up with more layovers, more, more time to oh. go up to waste, you know?
3: Layovers are like my like third circle of hell.
2: Oh my God. <laughs> There's one route that's saying three stopovers. I'm like, stop it. Just,
3: Behave. I'll just walk. Like <laughs>
2: literally it would be quicker to walk.
3: Are you going anywhere? Yeah, I'm going to go to Jamaica to see my grandma. Oh my God, um, I'm so jealous. So I'm really excited about that. I haven't seen her since 2019. But yeah, same thing. It's like, it doesn't feel like a holiday because she just like lives in a like really rural area mm. in Jamaica. But then me and my brothers are going to do up tourist for the last week. So oh
2: my God, ready to escape. Sad. To fight that SAD. You know what I mean? Love that. And speaking of ways to fight the SAD, we're going to get into our next guest. Our guest today won a Lizzie II
3: award for design. Okay. Their father is Nigerian and their mother is Indian. So they started out designing menswear. And lastly, the musical direction for their stunning 2021 visual lookbook was by Control, who featured on season two of Growing Up with Gaudem back in August 2020. It is the incredible fashion designer and multi hyphenate creative.
2: Priya Alawalia. Thank you so much for joining us, Priya. I'm a stan, a fangirl, if you will, um, (laughs) of your designs. How are you doing today?
1: Thank you so much. I'm really good. It's lovely to be chatting with both of you. So how are you guys? Yeah. Yeah, not bad.
2: Enjoying the blue skies, enjoying like autumn weather.
3: Yeah. Yeah, it's Mm. nice, isn't it? How would you define um, what you do and how you show up in the world? Good question.
1: I guess I would say I'm a, I'm a creative director and, and film director. I've got a brand called Alawalia that's really informed by my dual Indian-Nigerian heritage and commitment to make fashion in a more positive way for people and the planet. And through that design background and starting my brand and you know directing lots of different projects and campaigns, I've, I've also then now sort of gone into the film world and I've recently been signed with Ridley Scott Film Company so straddled both film and fashion and I really enjoy it.
2: I was gonna just ask for those who I guess aren't familiar with your work and we can answer for both film and fashion how would you kind of describe the aesthetics and are there any ways in which they are really overlap between the two?
1: Yeah I guess my work in both areas is definitely informed by my background so I've I was born in London, but my mum's Indian and my dad's Nigerian and my stepdad is Jamaican. So I've been able to like engage with so much different culture, but it's always culture I don't see reflected back in like popular culture. I mean, it is starting to now, but or what we even learn in school. So with every project at the brand, it's always about learning or discovering more about my background. So, you know, that means that the work is often informed by, it could be architecture in Lagos, or it could be print design in India and then it always has that London sensibility to it so I guess that the work in terms of the clothing is definitely fun I really like colourful like clothes and clothing so it's always about pushing both guys and well everyone to sort of have a bit more fun with their wardrobe so yeah lots of prints and embellishment and embroidery we do really like nice graphic denim styles so it's yeah it's it's definitely bold I'd say I kind of
3: wanted to know a bit more about your journey into fashion did you kind of start with menswear or yeah kind of can you kind of talk us through your process and your journey yeah
1: i i, I always knew i wanted to be a fashion designer since i was like a kid so i really did target all my education and all of the work experience i did to, towards having a fashion design career and i guess when you're at unis they often encourage you to choose one pathway because it's difficult to do both. So I chose men's and... I, can't really tell. I think with menswear, I chose it in the beginning because there's so much left to explore with menswear, right? So men have practically been wearing the same thing for 50 years. And it's like, there's so many boundaries that are, are there to be pushed and experiment with. So I'd started the brand with menswear, but it was always my intention to do women's as well. Just like when you're starting off as a one man band, there's only so much you can do. So I started with menswear and... Pretty quickly, got quite a lot of people and stores and customers asking, you know, when is there going to be official women's wear? Because I, I do believe that everyone can wear whatever they want, doesn't matter what the label on the garment says. So, yeah, then we introduced it, and um, I'm really, really enjoying it.
2: Yeah, that the brown knitted dress is one of the my favourite like pieces this year that I see so everywhere, and I think it's so great. I think we were talking about yeah. this before, like even. Yeah, just where gender kind of plays into fashion and how versatile it can be. And I think some of the strongest designers that I love are those ones that kind of flow between both and bring elements of masculine, masculinity into feminine clothing and vice versa. But with that said, would you say there are any kind of differences or distinctions in the practice when you were kind of focused solely on menswear versus kind of expanding your offering
1: later on? When I was doing menswear only, you know, it was like a lot of outward discovery, chatting to people that I know, friends, relatives, looking at popular culture, like looking at musicians, sportsmen, all that different types of stuff it, as a part of that research process. And now, of course, I still do all of that. And I, I, I generally collect a lot of research from galleries and books and things. But with the women's, a lot of it is just like, it sounds really, I don't know if it sounds self-obsessed, just factual, but a lot of it is just about thinking about my own life and like... What I would like out of my wardrobe, you know. So, what do I want to wear to a date or a business meeting or to the club or that kind of thing? So, you kind of start to work through your own wardrobe and your friends and stuff. So, I think it's become a little bit more, bit more like intimate. Yeah, it's sort of like yeah. I'm looking at myself a little bit more with, within the process. Yeah, it's definitely more intimate. Does that make it easier? I guess to design or it changes from season to season. I think it feel it also changes about like changes depending on where I'm at with myself and how I feel, you know, I don't, I also don't want, if I'm having a day where I'm feeling particularly like self-conscious, I don't want to design something that's got my sort of like self-consciousness within it, you know, so it depends if I'm feeling quite happy and confident it's easier. I think with women's, there's definitely more you can push in terms of experimentation. So that element makes it easier. I don't know if easy is the right word, but simpler, but Yeah. It's funny. Some seasons I design them. I I lean towards designing into mens first, and then the womens comes afterwards. And other seasons it's a different way around. I think it's kind of it can move basically.
3: And I guess looking back, who were some of your early fashion icons?
1: Yeah, I mean, outside of designers, I always like as, as in, I always loved looking at MTV based. I watched MTV based music videos all the time, and I just remember absolutely loving like what people like Missy Elliott. Uh, Lauren Hill, Lil Kim wore in in women's and then in men's like Puff Daddy as he was known at the time, now Diddy. Like very, very iconic and unapologetic styles of dress and I found that really inspiring and I also loved a lot of Bollywood cinema so I was constantly looking at what like Bollywood stars were wearing. And then within fashion I bought every magazine I could ever get my hands on and I was always trying to read them from front to back and memorise every brand and every name. And I love the artistry of it, but I didn't necessarily see a brand where I saw that I could be a part of the industry because of it. So I loved like the artistry and, you know, Prada has always been incredible. I don't, I feel like Muthier can't do anything wrong. And so I've always been such a fan of that brand. And, you know, I couldn't think of all the different shows I've loved and all that inspiration comes from more of a i guess like a technicality thing or a, looking at styling or you know what can be done with your brand but i don't necessarily think that there was it wasn't a straight design some designers have someone that they really looked up to their whole life and it was pivotal to the way that they design i think with me it's a little bit more nuanced than that i love the shows and respect all the designers that come before me so highly. But I think that was then also mixed with my personal interests and likes and discovery of what's outside of our education system in the UK. So, yeah, I think there's like a mix of things.
2: Yeah, I totally hear that in terms of like, even if you can see yourself as a fan of fashion, it might feel like those ones are like one step too far removed from what you might see yourself creating. And I guess something that links into that and also something you said earlier about kind of creating fashion or a brand that uses fashion in for goodness. I'm also interested to hear if there are any particular ways that you want to change or expand the industry with your brand and that you can see as areas of growth within the fashion industry.
1: Yeah, I think there's definitely a few areas. I think like, first of all, it's it's my brand and other brands that are coming up or have been coming up in this sort of generation, I'd say, showing that. Blackness and brownness is not one dimensional. We have different experiences of it and we should be able to celebrate that through a non-white gaze. And I think that's something that's really important to me. And the feedback that I get from it is people can see themselves reflected back. But these people are from the whole diaspora. It's it's really multidimensional. And I think that us putting those stories and that creativity on a pedestal is really important. Also to get people feeling like they can be a part of creative industries, right? You know, especially if we're in the UK, in the US, thinking about being like second, third, fourth gen immigrants, our parents and our families have just wanted the best for us. They want us to be able to succeed. And that means that the arts and creative jobs are really scary. And I think that being able to have a brand that shows that there is space for us and allowing people to imagine what it's like to come into it as a part of it is really important to me. So with the brand, we do like different workshops with different like London schools and with kids from all different backgrounds. And we try and endeavor to do, you know, different talks and things like that. Cause I think that positivity in fashion is not only about product and materials, but it's really about people. It's also reflected in the way that I hire. My team is incredibly inclusive. Yeah, everyone, apart from one person, is POC. We're mainly women. So all that kind of stuff, women identifying. So, you know, I'm trying to make sure we can be inclusive from the behind the scenes and then also not just the campaigns and the shows and stuff like that, because I think anyone can do that. But it's all about like what's happening behind the scenes. And then I think for me, something that's really important is exploring this intersection between creativity and sustainability. I think before maybe five years ago, brands that were sustainable that were also fashion thinking and fashion forward weren't so prevalent. Like it was, sustainability was always like you could get a hemp t-shirt and there wasn't any style behind it. But you know, like the thing is the most sustainable items are things that people want and people want to keep and cherish and look after for a long time, right? So that desirability is really important. And so I feel like the brand explores you know How can we make something desirable that someone wants to cherish and keep it for a lifetime, but make it with the right materials and then be inclusive in that process and representative? I, th- I think there's so many elements to it. And I often find that the conversation just gets very pigeonholed into fabrication, carbon footprints and things like that, which is, of course, it's really important. And we endeavour to work really hard to improve that all the time but I definitely think that sustainability is not one-dimensional but I also think that that's a reflection of conversations being of sustainability being led by whiteness and if we're leading sustainability conversations by whiteness we're not thinking about the global south and all of those people in the chain that matter in that supply chain that matter not just like what happens when it gets to the UK or to Europe or whatever so I feel like I'm trying to think about it in a multi-dimensional way you know is it about sustainability or positive fashion is also about representing ideas fairly and giving people props where props are due so if you know i think i remember in that when i was growing up and watching film watching shows sorry in the 2000s and 90s like 2000s and watching 90s shows back You'd watch European houses do beautiful collections, but it would be like, you know, quote unquote, the Africa collection. And I would, knew that they didn't have one African person on that collection working on it. And also they weren't, they weren't being vocal about where that inspiration came from and what communities and what artistry that they were taking inspiration from. I just think that we can make fashion much more transparent and include people from the whole process. 100%. I guess, do you think things
3: as far as sustainability are getting better in the fashion industry because as you said if you're looking at the whole chain a lot of that is black and brown people you know what
1: it's so funny because this answer changes depending on what day I'm asked it depends on if I'm feeling positive about it or not but one thing I will say something that really like I find a bit frustrating is that fashion the fashion industry as a term in- in- is an umbrella for so many different types of businesses so it includes like contemporary luxury like my brand includes high-end luxury it also includes fast fashion and no matter what I'm doing in my brand and what other big businesses might be doing but they're higher up brands that you know have the ability to actually reflect pricing back to the customer no matter what we do there are fast fashion brands growing and growing and growing that are like are producing a thousand dresses of that a thousand of the same dress per week and selling it for five pounds or ten pounds and they are you know people i i and it's really difficult so I, so there's two sorry there's two things i want to say about it firstly I think it is getting better in some areas and it's also not in other areas because consumerism is just growing and growing so these businesses that are making so much money what what's their incentive to do any better they don't have any there's no like laws about it there's no taxes for it so they don't have an incentive to improve and they can also tap into the sustainability conversation by greenwashing or even the diversity conversation you know i I don't want to start blasting certain brands we know the ones but there's been <laughs> there's been exa- examples recently where one fast fashion brand did a poll whether to have a black or a white because the right influencer be in the campaign and the votes went to the black influencer and they put the white one on the campaign anyway and then they had to sort of backpedal and put that influencer on a campaign because there was outrage I guess or you know there's been another brand recently is it the same brand I can't even remember no it's a similar one that's now got a very famous sustainability face I mean I don't know if we can say who it is it's Boohoo and Gourtney Kardashian and I just think even when we look at that is that influencer's life really that sustainable i mean i'm not listen i'm not a multi-millionaire i don't i'm not hating if i was rich as her i'd probably be doing some things as well but you know they travel on private jet They do, they're not exactly the most sustainable person themselves so but it's easy to put that label on so while that's happening how can we be making much progress but then in other spaces i think there is so much progress but the other thing i want to say is that you know Sustainability has been so, for so long a white and privileged conversation to have. I think it's we get into, I don't want to ever finger point at the consumer. And I think that sometimes that's what happens. So if, you know, someone's a nurse and they've got three kids and those kids need to be wearing clothes, like, I don't think that we should ever demonize that person or even have a conversation with about with them about where they're deciding to buy that from because they've left with no alternative and it's the big businesses that have got the choices they don't have to make them close with 100% new polyester they don't they can they can make they can make enough profit and choose organic materials or recycled fibers and also then that they can influence the economies of scale for the rest of the industry and allow prices to come down so i think we really need to make sure that like Pressure is put upon big business, which I don't think we do enough. And, you know, I think it improves sometimes, it doesn't other times. I don't know. It's, it's a big question. It's a big, yeah. There's a lot to think about. It's a minefield. <laughs> it's it, it is. It.
2: Yeah. And it's like, big business needs that incentive from... Government and from these people who are busy telling individuals to kind of hold that individual responsibility of recycle your cans, but at the same time, you're not like. I just read something today where they're saying there's a motion to potentially ban solar energy on farms right now while we're in an energy crisis. And it's just like the government is like doing
1: one thing while we all want the opposite. So it's a wider conversation conservatism and the conservatives literally by definition is all about the individual isn't it they believe in individual mm. responsibility and of course exactly. individual responsibility does need to come into play in society in some places but at the same time it's just it's really depressing like what they're doing to everyone and the country <laughs> and, the, and and making it everyone else's fault it's just when well, it's just not and I, I don't know i think it's so scary i just I don't know what to do. All I can do in my in my bubble is, you know, use my voice where, where I can. I'm not an activist. I am a creative, but like where I can, I definitely like to start conversations about how we can do better. You know, if I'm in rooms with important people trying to change that conversation, but it, it's, um, I mean, really everyone needs to just vote in the next election and try and get these people out of here. We're just gonna take a quick break and we'll be
3: back after this for the extract.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, you get 30, you get 20, 20, 20, get 20, 20, get 15, 15, 15, 15 just 15 bucks a month. Sold. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 upfront for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything
0: Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?
3: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people
0: today.
2: I think it's time that we move to our next section, the extract. Um, And I was wondering if you could give us a little bit of context behind these two pieces and why you chose them. And then we'll get you to read
1: them out for us. Yeah, yeah, I need to find where I've written them. Okay, so I didn't I I didn't really know what to send. It's obviously like quite a fun. I don't know. It's just like I didn't know really what to send for the extract, and I was just thinking about like what I thought would be important to talk about. And so one of them is from notes. uh, I think a while ago, and I wrote them. I think it was after a therapy session, and it was about body image. And you know, since I've started this brand and my career is taking this turn, I, I have to do certain things that are like public facing, like have press photos and this kind of, kind of stuff. And I've just had such hard, I've had such a hard relationship with the way I look for the whole of my life. And it, it's a kind of, it was kind of myself talking to myself about how to try and step back out of that and to stop like crit- criticizing myself so much because loads of that, thought and process around it is not my fault like i don't it's not even about really the way that i look it's more about like what society has kind of made me feel like i should look like and i just feel like since i wrote that note i'm in a slightly more healthy place with that so i thought that would be a nice thing to talk about and the other thing i think being being british like we're really bad at like giving ourselves props where props are due we don't celebrate our wins and i another one was I wrote in my notes that I was, it was the proudest day of my life after I'd fil- finished filming my first film with uh, another director called Simona Alani Pekin. and I was just, I just remember feeling like, oh my god, this is just my dreams are really coming true. So I, I thought that was also important to talk about. Yeah. So for just a little bit of context, you know, I I have found that in the past I would be looking at pictures of myself, and like zooming in. And literally thinking like, oh my God, you are just hideous. Like I would look at one thing and then sort of obsess over it. And, you know, I, I, I've i got to be like a walking advert for the brand, right? And it would be like going to different events and stuff. And I, I would, sometimes it would be like, I'll be in tears before these events, which are also like amazing events to even be included in going. And really, like, I was not thinking about the positive of even being able to be in these rooms and sitting at these tables this like self-image thing would just take over so much. It would ruin so many experiences that I had. And also because of like successes in my career, I have re- I also felt like guilty to even talk about it because I felt like people would be like, what are you talking about? Like you get to do all this amazing stuff, you get to travel, you get to go to these events and then you're moaning about like what you look like. And I, I found it really weird. I had almost guilt around it. I was quite sort of... Yeah, I don't know. So I I did start to t- talk about it in, in therapy and I, that I wish that everyone had access to therapy is another thing I wish was equal for everyone because it can be really good. So this is from the 3rd of March in 2021. And these notes are in note form, so I'll expand if they don't make sense. But I said, thought is just a thought. Don't give importance to stuff that I don't need to. expect. Just accept experiences for what they are. Be less judgmental and more factual about images of myself. The way I look at other people's photos, I should do that to myself, you know, I don't analyze them down to the pixel. Stop and take a moment before I look at a picture of myself. Limit the time I spend looking at a picture of myself. Put the picture in context. It makes up a tiny part of the brand experience. You know, for example, if there's a picture of me at the Fashion Awards, I'm at the Fashion Awards, I need to like, think about that before I think about the picture. Other people don't analyse me the way that I analyse myself and keep things at a physical distance. So not being like face to the screen. I know they might not make sense, but... No, it all makes perfect sense, I think. Yeah, to start
2: with, I'm interested in like, where... Do you remember where you were kind of mentally and emotionally at the time of specifically writing? this piece and all the these notes for yourself was there a specific thing that kind of triggered that for you I mean I wasn't doing very well
1: I think (laughs) I having my own business and stuff is so busy and there's I really really had to work so hard on looking after myself like physically and mentally this was at a time when I didn't have an assistant so I was like juggling so many things going to all these events and then I was also like having had a really long commute and so I remember just feeling like I wasn't my best self and for me exercise and eating well is really important not just the way I look but just how I feel and how I sleep and I I just remember that there was like quite a lot of events happening and I was like which are amazing it had just been a fashion week and I was going to all these different places but I felt and I, I wasn't quite fitting into the clothes that, that uh, I had, like my, my, my Alawalia wardrobe. And I just remember feeling like really miserable. And I don't, and, and, and I remember feeling miserable and I remember feeling like it was boring. Like I was going to a dinner. So this therapy session was a day after a dinner. And I was going to a dinner and it was a really, amazing event and meet loads of amazing people and I just remember like I was like 45 minutes late because I was just agonizing about what I was going to wear and then when you get to the event you know they want to take a photo of you at the event and I remember just wanting to like cry and I've in this period I'd also had my photo taken on set and I like went to toilet and I actually cried I just felt so miserable but I just remember also thinking like that is so boring like I don't want to feel like that anymore and I'm kind of like sick of it so it was just like I, I spoke to my therapist I'm so fortunate and lucky to be able to to access therapy and I just remember I needed to put myself first in terms of being kind to myself and best piece of advice my therapist always says to me is be a friend to yourself you know you wouldn't talk to your friends the way that you talk to yourself and I think that's really stuck with me and then since then I mean listen I'm not gonna lie to you I still am sane in some ways I still do sort of I'm very self-critical I think but that also comes with when you come from a high achieving background or you achieve like to achieve things a lot I think that does happen but I've definitely put things in place now to to not feel so much like that you know I've got an event tonight and I don't have the same dread or the same misery I'm actually just more excited about going to it and like chatting with people and stuff so yeah I've tried to keep reminding myself that thoughts are only thoughts. It doesn't mean it's a fact. And, yeah, it's hard. I mean, you've got to keep checking in with yourself, right? Also, that just understanding that, like, what am I even judging myself against? Like, we're human beings with so many different people and we all look completely different. And it's just almost like trying to un... What's What's the word? It's like we've all been indoctrinated, right, into what society believes we should look like and how we should be, and it's trying to undo that. Yeah, I definitely feel better.
2: I feel like there's even, like, a trip of, like, even when you actively try to kind of deconstruct certain standards or you're, like, actively invested in deconstructing them, something that I think a lot of us, especially women of colour, especially black women, have to often do. There's, like you say in here, there's that other hypocrisy, which is, like, I can look at everyone else and think they're the most beautiful people in the world and then still come to myself with the standards that I've been trying to unlearn for the last, like, five, ten years. Like, why can I celebrate everyone else's diversity and everyone else's beauty and not, and not yeah, my own? exactly. Which is just another level to it. I completely relate to all everything
1: you're saying right now. It's hard. It really is hard. And I definitely think, you know, for women, it's not, of course men and all different every all genders have definitely different body issues I just think for you know women and uh people that identify as women or that whole group of people like society has bullied us basically for years you know we would we would when we were kids we'd go into a shop and see on the front cover a celebrity cellulite circles like, that is oh, yeah. absolutely insane, and how can we, how can we all be normal when that's what we've had to grow up with? And I think there's so much unpacking to do, and then also, obviously, there's whiteness on a on a pedestal. You know, I'm half Indian, and when you go to India, the billboards, all the women look white, and and there's colorism is a a real issue there, and color, you know, colorism. I'm also Nigerian. There's also elements of colorism in Nigerian society. But I wouldn't say it's the same with the same vitriol but there is all these different things that we're trying to unpack and for me the thing that was really the turning point was that it was stopping me enjoying my life like I wasn't enjoying stuff and I and I was also being a bit like you know like it's also quite miserable to be around people like that you know like if someone said oh you look really nice and I said oh I look disgusting like what how awkward have I then made that conversation for the other person it's just ridiculous so I was, <laughs> I was just thinking like I really needed to kind of I, and, I, and I'm not perfect I'm sure if some of my friends listening to this they're going to be like hmm you're still a bit negative about yourself and i am it's definitely a work in progress but I'm about to turn 30 and I want to go into my 30s like Something I really love is that people always tell me when they get into their 30s and their 40s, life gets more easy because they're more confident and I really want that for myself as well. I think... Sometimes as well, I think it was a different note, but I wrote, like, your body is just a vessel and it's not who you are. So I'm definitely trying to... This is a good conversation. I'm also reminding myself that I'm trying to do this.
3: (laughs) I liked what you said earlier about, like, kind of facts versus feelings because our feelings are not facts. I could wake up one day and be like, I am so ugly. Mm -hmm. And then the next day be like, I look hot, but I don't look any different. I do not look any different day to day. So how am I having two different experiences?
1: I also think that that's a really good thing to think about. Like thoughts thoughts are not facts. I think that's so good to think about in so many different areas, you know, like whether it's body image or having anxieties about, I don't know, whether it's friendships, relationships, work relationships, all that kind of stuff. Like, that is something that we should all sort of try and endeavour to think about because sometimes we just make ourselves so stressed and it's, it's not really based in reality. I think something
2: else that you touched on uh, there, which I think I've been talking about recently as well, is I guess like society's indoctrination of us to all, especially like femme identifying and women, to want to or feel like we need to look good or like our purpose is to look good. And then in the same breath, there's a shame in terms of like being vain or oh, like yes. that vanity. And it's like, you, you feel, yeah, it's, there's like, I don't, it's, yeah. it's, it's the highest priority, but it's also seen as like this really frivolous thing to do and to worry about. You're
1: completely right. And I think like I really like TikTok. It's like, My my vice, oh my god, I'm it's so bad actually. Some days, second therapist. (laughs) It's so bad. Oh my god! But I mean, it's great. I what I love about TikTok is that you do as with body image as well. I think that TikTok is somewhere that you see so many different bodies, abled or what, um, with different disabilities or different sizes or shapes, whatever it is. I think that that is really after like having Instagram be our like leading social media platform TikTok is great for seeing different people like different ages I, I really do love that and I learned so much about different communities on the app but I do find especially I think when we talk about black women and the hair, natural hair movement right it's like I do find that we have sometimes on TikTok or even in culture I'm talking and it's like you know we need to just like embrace natural hair and it's something I do believe in if it works for people but then almost if you don't embrace your natural hair you're also being demonized and it's like but sometimes I just want to dress up you know like why shouldn't someone just wear a wig if they fancy wearing a wig it's it's also about freedom of expression and I think that patriarchy has instilled women battling against women from the beginning of time and it's something that we haven't got quite out of yet you know like for the fact the fact that like I went on um, holiday in the summer and I was, you know, I wanted to have looks for this holiday. I was in IB first, so I was planned, like, looks. And, and um, someone that was I'd met on the holiday, like, they called me high maintenance. And I'm like, but why, what, do you want me to just look like Trash then? Or, what? you know, what is the, what's the issue? And It's an like ever-moving like, goalpost. Yeah, and then it's yeah. like, if I didn't make the effort, you know, someone might say, oh, you're on holiday, could have made an effort. It, it's... It's so bizarre the way that we we judge each other constantly. I think that's it's something that everyone needs to check themselves about a little bit, I think, because it happens without people realizing
2: yeah i I think I saw just recently there was a conversation around i guess, or there's a lot of conversations around like the kind of high standards to which, especially black women, I think in london mm-hmm. we the aesthetic standards that we we hold ourselves to, which sometimes level with like celebrities and influences. it's like. There's so much pressure to spend all the, all of this money and to look good, and then at the same time you get the conversations which are like, you shouldn't. You're vain if you do mm. this, or you're superficial if you do that. And it is, you're right. It's such an ever moving goalpost that's just like when we we change the standards, but we're still kind of enforcing them as rules yeah. rather than allowing for people to be free and to almost like you say, like you said before, just not care because it's just a body. Yeah, and like yeah, it's
1: not that serious. And I also think that people should. Be able to just do whatever is right for them, you know. Like any conversation like this, like sometimes, like uh, you know, TikTok, like even thinking about TikTok and reading the comments, and like, people, sometimes I want to say to people, just mind your own business. Like, if someone wants to dress like this or wear that or eat this or eat that, it's just so up to someone to be able to be who they are. And I think that that's the other thing as well. Especially, I, I totally agree with you about the standards that Black women in London and the US hold themselves to. Like hair nails this that there's so much and a part of it listen if that works for someone it makes them feel better and they're enjoying it enjoy it but I don't I think that blackness and womanhood is so multidimensional. we shouldn't be holding everyone to the same standard at all so yeah I think we've got a lot of work to do in on that front Mm, and these beauty industries they feed off our insecurities there's a reason you know black women spend so much
3: more than absolutely. other groups of
1: women on our hair and all sorts they feed of it absolutely I mean it's even like now I just like I mentioned I'm turning 30 and I'm like do I start need to start getting anti-aging products and does anti do I, anti-aging I'm more, like, like is it, even it work? Botox era now like I'm like what happens like, now yeah. <laughs> it's literally so it's really like it's, it's like it just doesn't it doesn't stop does it I think from you know I think if, if I ever have a child, for example, that will be another period of time where I'm going to be judged or judging myself. And I just think for women, it just doesn't let let up. And I think we just, having conversations like this when we know that people don't, people feel the same, like they feel the same pressure is really important. I think, and like you said before,
2: I I, I laugh because I, I'm the same where, you know, like I, I speak one way and I practice something else sometimes and you can you can have all of these lapses, but I think like you say, having conversations and just being aware of like the systems in place to kind of set you up to fail is half of the journey. But I think it would also be great if you
1: could read your second note for us and we dig into that for a little second. So the second one I sent was on the 24th of October, 2020. And it said, I've never felt so proud of something in my whole life. And then I just wrote the date out
2: amazing can you talk to us a little about the actual film and like what that kind of entailed for you
1: yeah so it was such a just oh my god I I still get goosebumps thinking about it now it's a completely life-changing moment for me um it was pandemic time and I think it was about August I got an email and the subject said a a message from Gucci and I was like what is this and I, I thought it was like an advert or something you know and it wasn't they asked me to let them know when I was available for a call and I had to pretend I was like I didn't answer for an hour trying to like play it cool a little bit. And then I spoke to them that afternoon and basically Alessandro and the Gucci team had decided to do Gucci, Gucci Fest, which was a film festival in light of the pandemic because we couldn't do shows and travel and all that kind of stuff. So they gave 12 young designers budgets to make a film. So I have always loved film, but I've never done a film or never worked at that point. had... I'd never been, in, been filmed for things and stuff like that, but I'd never sort of used film as a medium at that point. And so I was like, okay, I've got, I didn't know I, how many chances, I, how many more chances I was going to have to make a film, right? So I'm like, I need to make the best, most important thing I can think of with this opportunity. So I partnered with Simona Alani-Pekun, who's an amazing British Nigerian director. He's just, yeah, I love him dearly. And um, I went to him and, I said to him, like, I knew what I kind of wanted to make a film about. I wanted it to be about, I'd, I'd been recently thinking about how uh, my life, I was getting opportunities like doing a film with Gucci because people in Britain in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s protested for our rights, for the rights of black people and brown people to be able to show up authentically in society. And, and also just have the bare minimum and, the, and equal you know access to healthcare, et cetera. So I was thinking about that and I was thinking about what are those, I wonder what those people are doing now. And it was, that was kind of where the research started. And from there, I was thinking about Mangrove and I, we connected with Mashup, who's um, a Trinny guy in Notting Hill, who was very closely linked to the Mangrove Nine, who is one of the biggest court cases that uh, pushed forward black rights in the UK, as well as Rupert Boyce's family. We spoke with it, with them. Um, who was one of the Mangrove Nine. And from that, we started to I started to build up this idea that I wanted it to be a kaleidoscope of the Black British experience. And so we filmed only over two days. Now I've done a few more films. I don't know how we did it. We did two days, I think 11 locations, and we filmed athletes, you know, hijabi boxers, calisthenics guys, a poet, just all these different people, people to do with Mangrove, and it was about celebrating the Black British experience. And we we interviewed them and had experts of what they were talking about. And I think that day was the second film day and we just wrapped. And I was like, I just knew it was gonna be really special. I knew, I, I just knew I'd changed the course of what my life was gonna be like, you know, in terms of, I felt firstly, I feel like I could cry talking about it now. I felt so proud that through my job, I could make a piece of work that celebrated us and the community so, like, much. Oh, God, I really could cry. I felt so proud that I was able to take everything I've learned and the way that we've been sidelined and put, and say in my own work, like, I'm not doing that and I want to do something that's so special and have people of all different ages, ages, sizes, backgrounds in it. I thought that was so important and I couldn't believe that I was going to be able to present it as a part of Gucci Fest, you know, the biggest luxury brand in the world. And so be able to open up to such an audience. And then also it was also a project, I don't know what you call it, a project, where I really fell in love with film. And since then I've kind of committed myself to doing more film and learning about it. Yeah, it was just super special. I just got goosebumps thinking about it now. I don't know. It's just It was really, really important to me. I feel like often
2: there's like a moment as like black creatives or whatever in the UK where I think a lot of us are realising and like seeing the validity in our personal experience at the heart of what we do and like seeing success on like massive scales like that, not because you've conformed to or able to kind of translate like the white experience or Britishness in like their terms, but because it's like your own definition of it and it probably feels like being seen and like being heard and like, you know, like it's some kind of affirmation in, in a sense. Yeah, and-
1: definitely. It's very, it's really affirming. And, and to be able to do it, you know, my whole, like the crew was was mainly black and and South Asian. Like It was like a whole group of people that understood what we were trying to achieve. And it was affirming, you know, it was like down to our catering. We had like black catering on set and all this kind of stuff. It was just like, Really affirming and d- definitely nice to make something that was not through the gaze of of whiteness, and to be able to have you know some of the people in the film, especially you know like Natanya and Jackie Boyce, who I'm now really good friends with, but at the time like they had been approached to do so many different things because of Mangrove, but they didn't necessarily feel comfortable or or safe or whatever it was to to speak or they didn't feel relaxed enough to do it. And I think that when we approached them, they knew it was coming from a place of genuine love and wanting to put our culture on a pedestal. It was also a film, we called it Joy because it was about joy. I think we've all tired so much of watching Black Pain for entertainment, quote unquote entertainment. I don't want to watch another film about slavery. You know, it's like we've watched so much of it and there is so much more to our experience than that. So it was really about taking different experiences but also showing like how those experiences have led to what the joy in their life now and it was also trying to be a positive celebration of blackness, not just talking about only only about our struggles. Yeah, that feels like a very pivotal
3: moment in your life and yeah, just you can, I can just see the joy on your face and um, how much yeah that meant to you. So thank you so much for sharing it. And that actually perfectly segues onto our next section, um, which is all about joy.
1: Great.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of echoing exactly what you just said, which is, you know, like we do and rightly so pay so much attention and time to, I guess like the more painful parts of black history and the black experience. But Joy is so crucial to that as well. And we wanted to ask if you had any moments from your past. I know your extract isn't actually that old, but are there any kind of distinct childhood memories that stick out to you as ones of pure joy that you have just have remembered to this day?
1: Oh, yeah, that's a good one. I think, like, lots of family barbecues, but always a really joyful experience. Like, you know, I love to eat, so... Any experience I ever had with a family barbecue, great food, great music was always really pivotal to me. Something that's also like come to mind as well. I'm not, I'm not religious or anything, but I used to go to church with my friend Kez's family in their Caribbean. And I remember it was like a black church and I used to just love the singing. Like I used to find it so, like I just found it, I remember just loving singing. I don't know if I was singing very well, but like singing along to gospel songs, and then also, as I love food, having them big feasts afterwards, I always really enjoyed it. I think there's also joy when I have been in my home country, so in India or Nigeria, I think feeling like there's all this sense of being at home has always been really joyful for me. I, I wish I could go back a bit more. Yeah, so many different things. I mean, there's so many nice things. I mean, meeting all my friends, and my friends are, like, very, multi, like, they're from different backgrounds, you know, my best friends are Nigerian, Jamaican, like just all different places. And I think experiencing, when I was growing up, experiencing their families and their cultures with them, you know, whether I go around for dinner or um, going to like their family celebrations and weddings and things like that. I think I think for me, lots of times that are linked to joy are times around communion and coming together and good music and good food. If there's good food, I'll be very joyful, to be honest, so.
3: (laughs) What advice would you give to that slightly younger version of yourself who is kind of, you know, dealing with your image and being photographed and trying to kind of be in that moment um, and be kinder to
1: yourself? What advice would you have for that version of you? Yeah, I would definitely say, you know, like, Couple of things like treat yourself like you would treat your friends because you wouldn't be talking to your friends with this horrible, like negative tone or whatever, you know, in your mind that happens. So treat yourself how you treat your friends. Also, like like think about the fact that this photo of you's even been taken. Like, what an amazing opportunity. And dealing with it in a space of um self-consciousness or thinking about yourself in a negative way comes out in the experience and it affects the experience, not only the way that you feel on that day, but the way that you can see in your eyes, in the photo, all, all that kind of stuff. And I think, like, just trying to enjoy it a bit more. I'm something I'm still working on. I love that. And what do you think that
2: younger self would think of where you are today?
1: You know what? I think I'd be really proud. I think I would. I, I knew I was going to be... I knew I didn't want to necessarily do a quote on quite a normal job and I knew I wanted to do fashion, but I think I would be blown away. I did every I didn't know that it was gonna be like this and I feel I've outdone what I what my dreams were. So I would be really proud and I hopefully give myself a bit of a break if I found out.
2: <laughs> Love that so much. Thank you so much, Priya. It's thank you thank you.
1: you. thank you guys.
3: That definitely hit home. Yeah. I really enjoyed how honest she was like I think a lot of us feel this way about ourselves and how we look but we don't really Mm. talk about it or express it in a way that feels like really truthful because it does it's it's kind of hard it's painful
2: yeah and I think it's 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 painful and then there's also that element of like shame around
3: like yeah the shame
2: yeah the shame and what Priya mentioned which is that kind of like you don't want to be the you don't want to be the what's it called like Debbie, Debbie Downer. Downer. Yeah, Debbie mm. Downer as well. So, but yeah, there's a lot of pressure to to kind of stifle it or just keep it to yourself or not like kind of
3: dump that on someone else. Mm. And also like just hearing her talk about how proud she was of the film she worked on mm. compared to like how she feels about how she looks, I'm like you exist in the same body and trying to, you know, yeah. remember to be kind to yourself and we're just souls in this big flesh sack
2: that's that's such a good point that you can almost and I think it leans into it links back to something she said as well which is that thing of the dissonance between you know having access to these really happy things you know achieving all of this amazing stuff being really proud of the work that you're doing and yet something as simple as like how you look can end up tainting those experiences and tainting your like ability to be present and like value yourself because you think, you know, like even if I've made this amazing film or I'm at these amazing events and I have this amazing career, um, I don't feel comfortable in my own skin. Yeah. It's a hard relate.
3: (laughs) It's really hard, but you know what? I think it's good that like we're talking about it and kind of expressing those feelings. Yeah. I don't know. I think literally the event that we were
2: talking about the other day that I went to, I I'm just in general about taking pictures of myself and then like the next day I'm suddenly like oh man I wish I had pictures of myself or I see the pictures that I have and I'm like so hypercritical of all of them yeah. that I don't share or like really experience like oh yeah I just it just taints my whole experience of something because all my memories of, of things because I'm so
3: I can't enjoy these like little snapshots of them which is wild because you could have been having, like, the best time ever. And then you literally. see a photo of yourself. And now you're like, actually, I, I like hated I, the night. like the whole night. It was horrible. <laughs> they let me walk around looking like I that. didn't
2: enjoy myself. <laughs> literally, literally. And I had to have that moment with myself of, like, talking myself down and being like, okay, firstly, maybe I don't need to share any pictures of myself. Maybe it was a valid memory in and of itself. And the photo evidence doesn't make it valid. But secondly, like maybe you should just be okay with posting a picture in which you don't love the way your face looks because you had a great time yeah. and it doesn't matter
3: like there's so many layers to it Do you know what someone mm. told me always like someone can always see you at every angle and I always think about that and I'm like it's so true doesn't matter mm. if I'm doing up poses I can be seen from every angle in real life <laughs> all the time and that's okay <laughs> I'm gonna have to live with yeah. that yeah that's so true that is so true
2: I think we're all on that journey to kind of like unlearn the value that we as individuals and society in general places on us based on our aesthetic value or our aesthetic, you know, like score. And we've talked about it on the podcast before, but it's just, yeah, it's a long, old, bloody journey. Yep. This has been an ii Studios production. Thank you so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can sign up to become a member at gal-dem.com for access to exclusive discounts with our favourite brands and partners, early access to tickets for gal-dem events, an advanced copy of our annual print issue and so much more. Make sure you're following us on all major social media at gal-demzine or visit our website at gal-dem.com.